Hello and welcome back to the Atmosphere is Electric. I'm Rich and as always, there's Fran. How are you, buddy? Yep, really well, mate. How are you? Very good, mate. Lots to lots to get cracking on. Lots of lots of great football. It was really good to have just that sheer amount of football back this weekend. When it felt like it had been missing for a couple of weeks, it was good to get everything back to normal. Mm, it was nice to have them spread out throughout the day as well. It felt like there was a lot of football always on. Yeah, and obviously with that European sort of stuff last week, loads of Sunday games, wasn't there? It was, it was a bit of a, a weird one, and it felt strange. Even the, the Man U game sort of kicking off an hour earlier felt a little bit unusual as well. With the extra hour of sleep we got, it, it really threw me. Yeah, I, I must admit it, it caught me out. I um, <laughs> I missed a fair bit of the game. I didn't realise it was on. <laughs> well, let's start. Let's go. Let's 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 rewind. And something we haven't spoken about, a team we haven't spoken about in a while, is uh, Spurs. Obviously, uh, they were the last game to sort of play on the the game week before in the first this one. So, so they had a chance to sort of put six points on on the rest of the league, and and they and they took it. And I think that's probably why we need to start there because actually, obviously, lots of plaudits in the in the media around Ange Postecoglou, obviously getting back to back manager of the months, arguably, and with a shout of getting the third one as well. Obviously, James Madison. Uh, universally being sort of deemed the, the Premier League signing of the summer. I think Jude Bellingham might push him for the, the global signing of the summer. And we, we, we've we had this conversation a couple of times where we sort of spoke about Arsenal last year. It was like, could they? Can they? You know, should we be... And are we at a stage now where we need to start taking Spurs seriously? Or do you just think actually they've had a really nice run of fixtures and actually they're just beating the team? They should be beating anyway and it will all work itself out and they'll end up fifth or sixth in the league. No, I think if you write them off, you write them off at your peril. The top of the league for a valid reason. They're playing really well. Um, the football that they're playing is really attractive football as well, scoring goals. And they don't seem to be conceding many as well. That uh, back line with uh, Van der Ven coming into the, the back line, they look really solid. Can't see them conceding many goals throughout the year. I think my one worry for them is injuries. If they do get a couple of injuries, they probably don't have the same squad as some of the other competitors for the league. Um, but like I said, I think if you don't think they can win the league, I think you write them off at your own peril. And so... How much credit do we need to... I mean, you know, let, let's not forget that it wasn't that long ago that a, f- a famous TV pundit that we won't name, Paul Merson, was talking about Spurs, you know, arguably being in a relegation battle, right? He was talking about them being, you know, at best, lower half. Obviously, the club was in turmoil. We're going to come on to that in a bit later, but the club was in turmoil in the sense that they'd gone through all of these perceptually sort of big-name managers. Uh, not many people noticed, but Ange was actually third choice in terms of being selected. So he, he wasn't their number one candidate. He wasn't even their number two candidate. I know that for a fact. Just lost their, their their main man on the cusp of the, the Premier League season. Nobody in their right mind thought top four, let alone you know Premier League title challenging. What, what sort of job has Postecoglou done to, to just forget all of that and just get them playing football? I think when you compare it to a few of the other managers as well, you can see how good of a job it actually is. It's not easy to go into a club and turn them around from a position, like you said, of turmoil into now being top of the league. And it's not like he's had a huge war chest where he's gone, you know, they've spent 300 million on the squad. He's bought a few players here and there. I said, it's not really a huge amount of players that have come in, but it's more just what he's done around the club. Like the whole atmosphere around the club's changed. Um, The attitude of the players, like that you can see the players, they're working far harder than they have under any other manager. So they're pressing. But the style of play as well, I think they've all bought into what he's doing. And, you know, in his interviews and stuff, he comes across as a top bloke, doesn't he? And I think the players have just bought into him, into his ideas, into his style of management, into his personality. And then, therefore, everyone's bought into the club. And I think, Lisa, you can't underestimate the job that he's done. And and it's not a simple thing that he's done. Because, again, you know, Spurs were... uh, Obviously, if you're a Spurs fan, you think Spurs are a big club. If you're not a Spurs fan, you think they're a Tim Pop, Mickey Mouse team that that have got an empty trophy cabinet. And, you know... 
he hasn't shirked has he, from any of that. He hasn't tried to kind of use any gimmicks or any kind of uh, public opportunity to kind of send messages, subliminal message. He just looks like a proper grown-up, doesn't he? He looks like a proper adult that's just answering questions properly so everybody knows where they stand. You know, he just... I haven't seen him put a foot wrong yet in the media. No, no. There's, there's been a couple of occasions where our Twitter account, we've tweeted um, some media videos that have gone round about him and he just comes across as a really nice bloke and he's the sort of person which... Everyone, like I said, just buys into it, but it's not just the players. I imagine the staff have bought into him as well. The fans obviously have. And I just think when you've got that backing from the support as well, it makes a huge difference. Like going from Conte where, you know, at first he had the backing, but losing the players and then losing the fans as well. Some of the things he was saying in the media, like very quickly everything turned. Whereas I don't think you'll ever see that with Postacoglu, even if, you know, Spurs lose the next three games in a row, as an example. You won't see that. It'll be level-headed. Everyone will stay on board of him. Yeah, and I just think he's, what he's done is actually really simple, isn't it? I'm not saying it's something which ever, anyone could do, but what he's done is really simple. He's just turned the whole atmosphere of the club around. And it is a really interesting lesson for, for whatever business you work in, isn't it? Like, you know, we all say, you know, oh, well, first three months, you've got to kind of... Well, actually, in football, you don't have three months, do you? You know, you, you've got to get in, you've got to get on, uh, you know, you've got to get the right players in, you know, apparently... Obviously, in preparation for the, I did a bit of research, and apparently, you know, the, the David Raya situation where Spurs were looking at him, uh, they pulled the can on that because they felt not financially, but they felt that David Raya was more interested in not being at Brentford than at being at Spurs. So they canned him straight away and then went and got Vicario, who looks like he just bought completely into the ethos. He's completely one of the the squad and the fans already. You know, you look at the team camaraderie. I mean, again, one of the things he's done well for me was. And I, I didn't think really, and I know that Hyung-Ming's son is the captain of South Korea, but that's more because he's just the the, the international superstar of that mm-hmm. team, I think. But he got that absolutely right, didn't he? He picked his leadership team. Romero was an absolute nut job last year. It was a red card waiting to happen, you know, giving away. You know, James Madison was new to the club, had the responsibility of taking over the number 10 shirt from Harry Kane and son to be the captain. It seems to me like he, he's a good judge of character as well and knows exactly what he wants from his players. And that leadership team is really helping get that message across, isn't it, on the pitch? Yeah, and when you look at Son, he's obviously, I think he's now probably the longest serving player, playing in the 11 anyway. You've probably got someone like Eric Dyer who might have been there a bit longer. But but basically what that means is you've got somebody who knows what the club's about, knows what it's like to play for Spurs, what it represents, um, and picking Son. So he may not come across as a general leader like your Roy Keane types or your Vieira, you know, proper leaders. But when you've got somebody who's been there that long and knows what the club's about, I think it's a very sensible pick to be captain. Yeah, Tottenham from the outside, it was always looked like a club uh, sort of torn into different categories, whether that's, you know, Jose Mourinho, you know, Antonio Conte within the team, different sort of cliques of players. But, you know, everything I'm seeing online just looks like they're completely unified. And, and Hyung Min Son is apparently playing a very, very big part in that, in the sense that he is one of the nicest human beings you could ever come across. And he's almost like the father figure now of that whole, because they're a younger squad. He's become the father figure and really embraced that role, hasn't he? Mm, yeah, definitely. And so he's probably done his career wonders as well you know he's been there a long time um you know last season he didn't have the best of seasons did he as well um so he's probably done him the world of good as well you know he's got new responsibilities as a captain new responsibilities as a centre forward as well so yeah it's probably done him uh the world of good it, the, the, i was looking at some stats at the, at the weekend around sort of fantasy stuff and, and just trying to get a sense of it and actually his uh goal per shot ratio is better than harlan's uh it's actually the best in the premier league and and, and he, he just looks like a clinical like when he's in front of goal it's almost one touch goal, isn't it? Like, I don't, mm. I don't, I don't feel he's going to miss if he's in a one on one situation. He just puts the ball back. He's such a cool, calm, collective finisher. Like it's, 
it's an underrated part of his game that people don't really talk about that often. Mm, I think his game's actually changed quite a lot over the years. You know, you remember the goal, I think it scored against West Ham when he ran it from his, his own half. He was a winger who dribbled with the ball a lot. You don't really see that from him much. You didn't see that from him last year as well. You know, I think his his game has changed. He is more, you know, getting the ball in dangerous areas on the half turn and having shots. Like I said, he scores a lot of goals from outside the area as well, doesn't he? You know, his shots are very accurate with Pat. So yeah, I think his game has changed, and I think he definitely suits that number nine role because he does drop in deep a bit like Kane did. He sort of replicates that Kane role. The other thing that I, I read uh, about Postecoglou that he's done is that he's actually. Uh, spends almost no time at the training ground during training or not he's at the training ground but he doesn't spend any time at training uh, and what he's done is he's, he's taken up an American football approach where he's got uh, attack coaches and defence coaches mm. and so Ryan Mason is taking more of the attack and Miles Jednak is, is taking more defence and it's interesting that even at sort of 50 whatever he is he's still innovating isn't he he's, he's still looking at new ways of how he can improve that squad and that American football approach is actually a really interesting one that maybe some of the other teams might start to follow in, in, in his footsteps Makes complete sense, doesn't it? Unless you've got a coach who's very good at doing everything, you everyone has their specialties in in everything in life, don't they? So if you've got somebody, and I'm trying to think of other Spurs people, you know, uh, Ledley King is a, I'm sure he, well, he is a coach or was a coach. Um, you'd imagine that his speciality is defending. So why would you get him doing attacking um, coaching when clearly he's been one of the best defenders Spurs have had? Like he's the sort of person you want doing that. So yeah, I think there is horses of courses with your coaches and. I said, if you mentioned the word innovating. I think if you are a coach and you're not innovative, then you're just going to fall behind because everyone else is doing it. And so, obviously, you know, recruitment's been good. You know, the players they've brought in, all of the players this summer have, have, have made an impact, haven't they? Some of those players are coming back, you know, whether it's Basuma, Adogi, Pape Mate Sar have all come in and, and, and it looks like a completely different 11 from last season, even though it's, it's some of the players were there in the system. Where do you think they can, you know, let, 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 let's let's go. Where where should Spurs fans and, and the Spurs players be thinking of finishing this season? Based on on you know what we've seen, you know, mm. obviously Newcastle are looking like they're they're coming back into form. Obviously Villa are doing what they're doing. Liverpool look fantastic. You know, are we saying top four is is would still be a great result, or are we are we saying maybe they should be looking a little bit higher? I think they've got to aim for the league. We said this last week. I think they've got to aim for the league because if you, I think generally if you aim higher, you probably finish a bit higher than if you were aiming, say, for a top four spot. So I do think they've got to aim for the league, especially when you look at their 11. Their 11's as good as every other 11 in the league, in my opinion. I don't think they've got as good of a squad. So, I mean, if, if Madison gets injured, I do think Spurs are going to struggle with that creativity link between midfield and attack. Um, but... I and mean, it's happened before with other teams, hasn't it, where they've kept their 11 fit and they've ended up winning things. So I do think they should aim for the league. I do, however, believe that they'll finish in the top four. I don't think they'll win the league just because of that. You know, I feel somebody is going to get injured, which is going to hurt them. But we, we, we're going to come on to it later. You don't know this, by the way, so apologies. But but when we talk about the Manchester derby, uh, you know, the, 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 or Manchester United's problem, Rodri is another player that, that's going under the radar as being uh, world-class, of course. But actually, when he's not in that, Man City team, they, they they almost look average, and when he's in it, they look unbeatable. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, lots of people are saying this about Spurs, about Madison, and of course, absolutely, Madison. The start that Madison's had, of course, he's going to be a miss. But they were saying that about Harry Kane, right? You know, it, there are other teams that are struggling with taking one player out of their team. You know, you take Saka out of Arsenal, are they the same team? Uh, you take Salah out of Liverpool, are they the same team? Uh, you take, uh, well, Newcastle have actually, to be fair, got quite a bit, you know, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is that not just mm. a problem for all teams? Yeah, of course it is. I just, I just, I mean, with Man City, they do have a bigger squad. Yes, you know, of course. I think, I think Rodri, Rodri is, is a key person there. They don't have any replacement for him. 
Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's the same for all teams. If you lose your star players, then yeah, you are going to struggle. Um, but generally, how often do you see your star players getting injured? It is, you know, generally they do, you do they do miss games. You know, Rodri has missed some games, so I can see. Uh, I mean, I'm going to class Van der Ven as a star player. I think he's made a massive difference in defence. I think if Van der Ven gets injured or suspended, you know, gets sent off for the rash tackle or whatever, I don't think there's a backup there. I mean, you've got someone like Eric Dyer backing up or whatever. They're just not of the same level. I think he's transformed that defence with his with his pace, with his height. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel, I mean, on, like you said, I'm talking about all teams. If you lose your star player, you are going to struggle. So, yeah, it is, it is across all teams. But I do feel for Spurs, there's a couple of key players that have come in that have made such a big impact that... They just don't have the players backing them up. So, yeah, the centre-halves is, is a massive issue. Van der Ven and, and Romero, left foot, right foot, they've formed a, a great partnership. They're great at progressing the ball. And like I said, they, they were almost toying with the whole stadium, weren't they, in those last sort of 10 minutes, just passing the ball almost amongst themselves. If you look at how Spurs are, are set up, if either of them were, were to be missing, you know, Eric Dyer. I don't even think they've got another centre-back in the squad. I think they're looking at Ashley Phillips with a sign from Blackburn for a million quid or whatever it is. You know, it is a massive, massive drop-off, isn't it? But, as you say, if they can keep that 11 fit, they look very good, don't they? Yeah, and that's it. If they keep the 11 fit, I think they're on par with most sides in that league. And I can't see them losing many. I think that's the key thing here. I can't see them losing many games. You look at other sides and, you know, other sides have quite a lot of goals put past them. Spurs haven't. They look rock solid at the back. And I think, yeah, for me, it's the centre-halves are the key. But just before we, we move on, that Palace goal, not a goal for me. That was definitely a handball. I messaged you straight away and I said, that's handball. Blatantly obvious to me. It hit his hand. The hand helped him control the ball to be able to volley it in. To me, it was a it was a blatant handball. And how it's not been... It didn't even look like it was reviewed properly. It was just sort of, yep, off you go. And I just thought, I couldn't believe it, to be honest. And actually, it could have been a turning point in the game, couldn't it? There was a few minutes left of the game. Yeah. yeah, there was a few minutes left in the game. Uh, you know, Luckily, and I say luckily, I don't mean it from that perspective. Huh. Luckily, Spurs held on because if that had gone in and they'd have scored another goal and it had been a draw, they'd have been uproar again, wouldn't they? So, yeah, I mean, from that um, perspective, it was fortunate for Spurs that they did hold on. The, the, the point that worried me about the conversation was that there was apparently inconclusive evidence to not give the goal. Now, what's the freaking point of having all these millions of pounds worth of cameras and VAR if, if you can't then tell whether the ball has touched a part of the body? It's beyond belief. To say that there's inconclusive evidence, I messaged you straight away and you messaged me back and we both said handball. So we had enough evidence to just clearly see that he controlled it with his hand. So how on earth didn't they? I, I just, it's getting to the point now where, you know, I don't, we'll probably come on to it, but Gary O'Neill made some, some comments around VAR recently and I completely agree with him. It's got to the point where if you say something, you get banned. Um, what's the point? He's just rolling with it now and you know, he's, he thinks it's not fit for purpose. What what do you do? Like because it's just there's mistakes every week. There's apologies every single week. It's just not fit for purpose. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, the ball clearly moved. Like it was that movement of the ball in the air that wouldn't have happened if it hadn't touched the body part. And the only body part that was anywhere near the ball was the hand. So for me, it made it quite obvious. And it actually, like you say, aided the the shot. It put it in exactly the right position for for the player to have the shot, which meant therefore it should have been given. But uh, like you say, I think uh, as long as there's humans attached at the end of this. There's always going to be human uh, interpretation. Therefore, you might as well go back to the beginning and just play the game because at least then you've got the raw emotion of it happening. But so, obviously, next week, Spurs uh, host Mauricio Pochettino for the first time uh, as a opposing manager. Now, uh, if you talk about managers that have had an impact and managers that maybe haven't, and there's a couple of them that haven't, uh, Chelsea looked awful. I mean, first half, they were definitely the better team. 
And every time I tip them up, and you've already dug me out for this before we before we went live. Every time I tip them up as being back in the game, they go and throw out another performance like that. But they look toothless, you know. And Brentford just keep amazing me in terms of you know, doesn't matter who's on the pitch for them. They just they just have a system, don't they? They just have a way of playing that gets some results against the big teams. Mm, I mean, Chelsea looked very good first half. When I say very good, I think it was just because they were against Brentford, who sat in and defended well. Um, they seemed to have a lot of the ball, but and, and created a few chances. They didn't carve them open, but. Second half, Brentford just stepped it up and just looked far more physical than to be. I thought they bullied them, to be honest. Like I didn't, I don't, I don't ever think Brentford played great football. Like, I don't see them as like a Brighton who played. You could say to them, oh, "This is a great watch." Like, I do struggle to watch Brentford a bit, but I completely appreciate what they're doing. But I, just, I thought they just bullied them, to be honest. And considering the amount of money they've spent, to be bullied is unforgivable. I think what the the, the problem Pochettino has got is he's he's going from one sort of performance to another, isn't he? Where he's going from a nine to a three, and you can't just deal with that, can you? It's very hard for him, and I don't, I don't, I can't put my finger on it to be honest. I can't say how you can go from that level of performance that they did against Arsenal to all to dropping off to the level that they did second half against Brentford. It, it, I've heard it used a lot in the media, and, and, and we, we keep sort of talking about the age of the squad and immaturity, but it does strike me as being an immature mindset, doesn't it? Almost like you know we need to be up for Arsenal because they're a big team. Oh, we'll just beat Brentford because it's Brentford. And so we, we don't have the same level of enthusiasm. And then, of course, you get rolled over. And then, you know, no doubt next week against Spurs, because it's Spurs away and it, it, you know, they'll be up for it. It's, you know, and, and it's just that, that those those top teams, doesn't matter who they're playing, does it? They, they know every week in that, that you've just got to be at that level. The whole You've got to be nine out of ten every week. You can't be nine and three, as you said. And and, and maybe maybe we're being kind by saying that's immaturity because they've all played loads of football. I was, I, was, I was about to say the same thing. I don't think it is immaturity. Look at some of the players that they've got in that team. I mean, even you look at the goalkeeper as an example, Sanchez. He's played a lot of football. He's not a young boy, is he? He's not an 18-year-old kid. Um, you know, obviously, Thiago Silva has played a lot of football. But then you look at the other people around them, like Cucurella's played a lot of football. He's not a young lad, is he? And, you know, Caicedo's come in. He's youngish, but he's played, he's played at a World Cup. He's played, you know, two seasons for, for Brighton. Like, this is play Raheem Sterling. You know, he's, he's getting, I think he's there. He's probably 31, 32 now. Like, he's played a lot of football. Like, there's so many players in that squad that have played a lot of football and it should be rubbing off on them. So, I mean, I don't think it is immaturity because for me, the one player who has stood out is possibly the most immature of them all and that's Cole Palmer. Yeah, good player. Yeah, looks looks a proper player. By the way, you've, you've, you've sold Raheem Sterling down, down a river there. He's 28, mate. Is he really? Oh, he's been around for, for ages. Yeah, but yeah, you've killed been, him there. You get what <laughs> I mean, He's played a lot. Of, he's played a lot of football. He has played. He has played. An, you know, two hundred twenty-five appearances for Man City, hundred appearances for Liverpool. Before you talk about eighty-five odd for, for or eighty odd for, for England, you know, there's lots of experience there. But he's never been, in my humble opinion, an out-and-out goal scorer. He scored goals in batches, but you, you wouldn't say he scored uh, goals it, because of the system at Man City, yeah. as opposed to himself. Yeah. And, and he's always missed as many as he's scored. He's always needed mm. two for one or three for one. He's never been, you know, one one and done. Uh, and, and so, so are Chelsea just still lacking? You know, we spoke at the start of the season about you know Jackson maybe being the the solution. And, and I certainly thought in pre season he looked he looked brilliant, but he, he looks a shell of the player already. Mm. Are they just a centre forward away? And we keep talking about it. Uh, or or do you think actually it's just going to take that squad with the amount of you know, changes and players and all that stuff that we spoke about over the summer that it's actually just going to take him six months to just even know all of their names, let alone what their best shape is. I think it's going to take him a fair bit longer than that. And whether he gets afforded that time is a different question. But, I mean, you look at the goals to concede in. So, you stick a centre-forward in there. 
Like they'd have to score three goals to have beat Brentford. And I don't think they created enough chances to to say that a centre forward had made the difference. I, I feel they need a lot more. I think they need. Uh, yeah, I think the midfield looks looks pretty decent with the players they've got in there. But they're still conceding goals. Considering you've got Caicedo in front of them, um, I do think that their defence needs some work. Obviously, they've got a lot of injuries. You know, the fullbacks are injured, but the fullbacks aren't particularly defensively minded. They're you know pretty much bombing forward fullbacks, aren't they? You know, Thiago Silva is getting well past his best. He's still a very good player, don't get me wrong, but I think they need another couple of centre-halves, which is amazing, considering they've got four or five on the books. Um, I think they need to look at the full-backs. I think they need a new goalkeeper. Like, to me, there's some serious work that still needs to happen on that squad. And whether or not Pochettino gets afforded the time to do that is going to be a different question. I think he will, because you can't just bring him in like they have and expect him to work miracles. And so... Obviously, they go to Spurs uh, Monday night football. So, again, looking forward to, to, to the pre-game analysis of the weekend's football. How do you... Obviously, we're not looking for the score prediction, but 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 let, let me ask you the question a different way. Is this a home banker? Or do Chelsea have a chance of upsetting... Spurs? And I, I don't think anybody said that in a very long time. Mm. Chelsea upsetting Spurs. It's always, it feels like it's always the other way around. Is, is there a chance that Chelsea go there and get a win? Absolutely, there's a chance. When you've seen the, the performance that they, they put out against Arsenal, it shows you that they've got the ability and the know-how to do it. Um, I, I just feel that when you're that hot and cold, you're such a hard side to predict. So for me, I, I can't see me ever predicting Chelsea winning this season because you could look absolutely stupid by going, oh, like, well, pretty much we did we did that last week with Brentford. We said, oh, they'll win there. And then they go and get turned easily turned over by Brentford. So I think it's a case now you, you've got to expect Chelsea to be performing badly and they're going to chuck in good performances. So, yeah, to answer your question, I, I there's definitely a chance they can go there and turn Spurs over because they're a good side and they've shown they've got some good players. But I don't think they will. And so let's talk about the the other sort of uh, massive point and, and game of the weekend. Obviously, the Manchester derby, or you, you missed some of it, but hopefully you managed to, to catch up with it uh, for, the, for the benefit of the pod. Obviously, it sparked a whole bunch of debate around where the problem lies, who the problem is with. But let's just start with the manager, because we just spoke about Postecoglou Gloom. We alluded to it. You know, he's not been there very long. He's changed the whole club from top to bottom. Fans, board, you know, Levy's changed the way he operates off the back of it. He's gone in there and he's gone, I'm the man, you know. And I don't think Eric Ten Hag, who, by the way, was uh, very close to the Spurs job a couple of times around, but they actually let him go because they didn't like his personality. They didn't think he came across very well in English. Uh, is it just that actually this job is just too big for Ten Hag? It's just way too big for him? Or is there someone else we need to be pointing the finger at? I don't think the job's too big for Den Hag. I've always liked him as a manager. I, I wanted him at my club when there was a possibility. Who that is, you can guess. But I don't think it's his. It, he has a lot of the blame. He has to take a lot of the blame. I think. I think some of his decisions that he's made have been a bit nonsensical. Like making Bruno Fernandes captain as an example. I completely agree. That's a stupid decision. He's not captain material. However. <laughs> You look at the previous managers that have gone in there. I do think most United managers that have gone in there are being set up to fail due to how the club is being run and structured. Um, but there is things that you can do as managers to help that, like Postacoglu has done. He's gone in there and completely changed the complexion of the club. I don't, you know, he seemed to sort of do that, Ten Hag, when he came in initially. You know, we were going, oh, he's doing a great job. He's turning it around. But like I said, I don't feel he's got the personality of Postacoglu to be able to, you know, get players on board. He's bought some players, whether, and this is the question has he bought players like Mason Mount? I don't know. But if he wanted Mason Mount, to me, I'd be going, why on earth are you buying him when there was somebody like a James Madison available? You've got other players that are on the pitch 
don't seem interested. Like, I, I do feel that there's a lot of problems there and he is a, a problem himself, but I don't think he's entirely to blame. Yeah, the recruitment's been... Shocking. Bad at best, yeah, bad at best, yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you know, you look at the summer signings, uh, you look at the balance of the squad, you look at... There seems to be a morale that's just been sucked. Like last year, I felt actually Man United, you know, Rashford was banging in the goals. I felt like, oh, okay, I can see, I can see this is going in the right direction. It certainly felt from the outside like it was going in the right direction. You know, you go and sign a, a centre forward that was uh, much sort of talked about within European sort of circles. You know, lots of people thought, yeah, he looks... He looks like he's had the fun sucked out of him as well. Like he, he, he looks like he's he's not even a football player, let alone a Premier League top goal scorer. This is where I feel there's there's some issues there with the squads. I mean, when you look at the, the team that started, how Rafael Varane was on the bench. So even if he's been performing badly, he's far better than an aging, injury-prone Johnny Evans. So I, I think there's some selection issues as well, which I think then goes hand in hand with some of the players' feelings. Like you can imagine Hoyland looking at some of the players behind him and going, "Really, like." I'm not going to score goals here, which, you know, he's obviously gone to Man United. It's a huge club and he's probably buzzing to get there. But then when he actually looks behind him and he sees, you know, I don't want to dig out McTominay because he's been one of their better players, but he's not of the level of previous Manchester United teams where you'd have Paul Scholes behind you, Ronaldo's, you know, Roy Keane's, like, it's a completely different level. And I thought, those players just look disinterested. I mean, my question is, did... Marcus Rashford's form last year completely paper over the cracks of the job that Ten Hag's done and did we give him too much credit for what a good job that he did when actually Rashford single-handedly took them to a level which no other manager has of recent years and it's got nothing to do with the manager. Well, you'd have to look at it now and say so, so possibly that, that is the case. You know, but so, you know, the other part of that, you know, Bruno Fernandes has always been, since he's been in the Premier League, a stat-padding dream like you know if you have a fantasy team you would have Bruno Fernandes in there because he was penalties free kicks assists creating lots of chances and scoring lots of goals you know he seemed like he was a really really kind of valuable member of of, of not just the team but the Premier League like he felt like he was one of the, the big hitters but you know I can't think of of a bigger drop off of somebody that was was doing what he's done to, to what he's currently doing and, and actually maybe you know Michael Richards didn't he came out this week with a with a really really interesting piece for me where he talked about as soon as Man United go behind Bruno Fernandes actually tries to do things to make the crowd think he's playing well rather than actually playing well mm. and if you've even got that kind of mentality it tells me that you, you, you've got bigger problems somewhere else haven't you like it's not the sort of thing you should be thinking about you know really it should all just be about how can we get back in the game because we're man bloody United yeah and, and you know we've spoken about the captaincy pick for me, he's completely the wrong pick. Like you, you can hear them, the pundits talking about him saying he throws his arms everywhere. I've not got a problem with you throwing your arms around everywhere, but it's what you're actually saying. Like If you throw your arms around and you're giving somebody a bollocking, I think that's absolutely fine. But he doesn't do that. He's, sort of, he's throwing his arms around to say, look at everyone else performing badly. I, I care. But he's not actually giving anyone like, a bollocking to say, what are you doing there and getting them in line like Roy Keane used to do. I think... I mean, there isn't many of those people around. We've had this conversation before, but there's better characters at Manchester United than him at the minute for the captaincy. I mean, it was taken off Harry Maguire, and I think he's a better captain. Yeah, yeah, can't doubt that. So, you know, Man United, realistically, how many new or different players do they need? Because I don't think the gap's ever been bigger between Man City and Man United in Man City's favour. Like, it was... 
it was easy. It was it was a you know they, they've gone to Manchester and they've they've literally you know sorry they've gone to Old Trafford and they've they've, they've had it away with the fairies, haven't they? So, how many players do Man United do you think need to get back to the, the level of Liverpool, Arsenal, and Man City? I'm not saying this lightly. It, it's potentially eleven, and I'm not yeah. saying that lightly. That if, if Marcus Rashford's form doesn't pick up, he looks a shadow of the player he's he's ever been. He doesn't look like somebody even you'd say is an average player at the minute. He looks really poor. I, 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 to be honest, I agree with you. I've never rated Bruno Fernandes. To be honest, I think like you said he's a bit of a stat padder. Plays well against some of the bad teams. The only I don't I, I can't really think of another player in that team with probably with the exception of Casemiro, but he looks like his legs have gone now. He doesn't look the player that he was last year. So it's potentially 11. I'm going to give Hoyland a, sh- a shout and let him, let him carry on and see what he can do there. So 10, I'm going to say, I think they need 10 new players. Yeah. Crazy. Isn't it? And and the manager, uh, you know, we, we say whenever we talk about managers, we don't want to get people lose their jobs, but, uh, and obviously the, 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 there's potentially a couple of other managers that are in, in you know, short term, bigger risk, but, if Man United finish outside the top four or look like they're going to finish outside the top four, do you think Eric Tan Hag is, is still the manager this time next year? Or, or, or certainly by the end of the season, shall we say? Not, not this time next year, but by the end mm. of the season. Uh, so I've, I've got a couple of answers here. So my personal opinion is I think they should stick with him. I don't feel he's all to blame. I think he's been set up to fail. However, I don't think he'll last the season if they finish outside the top four. Um, it probably would be for the best for them to change the manager. Well, you do get a new manager bounce like they had when he came in. But they'll just end up going down the same route that all the previous managers have, where they have a decent start. Oli did it, Jose did it. They all had a decent start, but then the club seems to get to them. And whether that's because of the way that, you know, the board is run, whatever that is, you know, the training facilities, the grounds are a mess, isn't it? Like it seems to just get to them and tie them out and they just look a shadow of the person that they were. So I think it probably does need a change of manager, but I don't think you're ever going to see a successful Manchester United unless things seriously change at the club. There's an interesting video doing the, the, the circuits of, of when Ralph Ragnick was, was the manager who obviously uh great uh reputation as being, you know, someone with fantastic talent ID and he he's he was getting uh He got pelters uh, for the video as well at the time. Yeah, where he was talking about players they missed out on Alvarez, mm. uh Harland. Harland, there was uh Flyovich and there was one other, wasn't there? I can't think of the name now. Uh and and you know, someone like that Again, if you just give them a bit more time, you know, so, so someone that's got that, you know, again, you go back to the Spurs point, you know, Paratici obviously is banned worldwide for, for indiscretions. But, you know, you look at some of the players he signed at the time, sort of went under the radar, didn't they? You, you know, Destiny Adogi as an example, you know, if you're not a Spurs fan, when they made that signing, you would have not even known it would happen. Mm-hmm. There was no way you would have known they picked up a young left back for 13 odd million and was going straight back out on loan. But the difference he's made to that team. Massive. You know, you know, and you look at the money they've spent on Anana Mount. Don't even talk about Hoyland because again, you're. I think you're probably right. I think he, he could be a Premier League centre forward. You talk about over 110, 115 million pound for those two players. Look at all the other what the other teams have signed the players for that money. They could have had a, a completely different five or six players that would have elevated them to a, to another mm-hmm. level. I mean, this is the point that I, I have. One of my mates is Man United. They've over they've outspent every other club over the past five to ten years. So it's not like the owners the owners get a bad rap and they they yep. need to take a lot of the yep. blame. Don't get me wrong, but they have spent money. Yep. Yes, they've spent money that the club has earned and it's not out of their own pocket. But they've spent money. But the players that they've bought, Harry Maguire for was it eighty million pounds. He's a decent player, but he's not an eighty million pound nope. centre half. Like you look at the other players as well. I mean, how much was Casemiro? Is he sixty million? Yep. He's he's in his early thirties. Like good, good player. 
and was a good player last year. But for that amount of money, it's crazy money for somebody who literally, within a year, he looks like his legs have gone. So, yeah, I mean, they've spent money. I mean, the, the worst one for me is Anthony. That has to be on Ten Hag's shoulders. He must have signed that off to say, yeah, this is oh. a player I want. And they've spent 80, 90 million on somebody who, to me, looks a very, very average winger. Doesn't look a standout Premier League player to me. I don't think you'd get in most sides in the Premier League, if I'm being honest. Well, they've got, they've got the double bobble, haven't they, of Jaden Sancho as well, who came in with oh, a yeah. massive fanfare, you know, disappeared off the face. Like, you know, the, the disappearing Jaden Sancho. Mm. There's, a hundred, I think, about £160 million worth of expenditure that looks bang average. Mm. Martial, you know, started off well, looks awful. There's there's so many examples. It seems the players that have succeeded there as well have been players with personality. Like Zlatan Ibrahimovic came there and he took the club by the scruff of the neck, didn't he? Like, they haven't signed anyone like this. There seems to be no logic to their signings. They do seem to like the Mason Mount signing. As soon as we both said, that's not a signing they should be making. Like, there was other players out there they could have made for cheaper who would have been a better fit at the club. They signed him because he was an English hard-working talent, which wasn't really what they needed. No, and even the one transfer that they got absolutely sort of lauded for recently in Christian Eriksen on a free, he now looks like he's... Bang average. He, he looks like he's not interested. He looks like he's just walking around the pitch because he has to do twice a week. He, for me, from someone that, that used to light up the Premier League uh, week in, week out as one of the leading lights, someone's put a real sort of mm. damper on his flame, haven't they? Because he looks... He looks like a different player. Do you, know, do you know what I don't understand? Is a lot of these players that are going there, they're going there because it's Manchester United and because of the wage packet they're getting. But it's absolutely the death of their careers. You look at some of the players, some of those players will never recover from going there ever. When actually, you know, I know um, Ericsson was offered to quite, I mean, he was on a free, wasn't he? He was, he was being offered to quite a few clubs and they weren't at the level of Manchester United, but they were probably performing better. He'd have been far better off staying at Brentford yep. for his career, for his enjoyment. He'd have got more out of it as well. He obviously wouldn't have got as, as much pay. But to go to Manchester United over Brentford, don't get me wrong, it's not, not a crazy decision because it's Manchester yeah, yeah. United, but it's ruined his career. And I think yep. you look at a lot of players, they're going to have their careers ruined by this. Well, yeah, like, where, where, where do they go? Where, where, where does Harry Maguire go from? You know, you know, West Ham were apparently looking at him in the summer. You know, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Once you've gone there, but like you said, I think the key message in there actually was that you talked about personality. I think Man United need to stop signing players on football and it's going to sound a bit backwards so bear with me but but football ability they need to get 11 players or well 16 18 players with the right mentality that can handle mm. everything that comes along with being at man united even if they're not perceptionally the the, the yeah. you know the, the world beater that you think you, you want to get 11 players got, you know again you go back to Phrase the, the need is they, they need a bit of balls about them don't they they need something well, about them You've got to be able to handle the pressure of bit playing for, for you know, still, you know, arguably the biggest club club side in the world. You know, you, you go back and you look at the Nevilles as an example. You know, when they, when they came through the class tonight too, like, you wouldn't go out and say, oh my God, these two fullbacks mm. are... At, but, but they got the club, they understood it, and they could handle the pressure that came along with it. And that, that's mm. actually more important than... You, know, you think about all those great players that have gone there that have just flopped because they can't handle it. Yeah, and a lot of them have got so much talent as well. I think the one person, again, and I, I always raise it, bring him up is, is Harry Maguire just because I think he's been very harshly treated and I do think he's a player who's got a bit of balls about him the stick that he takes he keeps coming doesn't he and you know, he wasn't great on the weekend but the performances he has put in when he's been out in the cold and he's come back like, I feel he is somebody who who has got a bit of balls about him and does want to be there but you look at some of the other players they are there to pick up a pay, paycheck and that's it 
yeah, I think there is a, a, a long way back. And if you're a Man United fan, uh, I think you're going to have to go through this season and, and grin and bear it a little bit. I hope that you can pick up a couple of players in the January window that that help move you along. Uh, but I think it's a long way back. Like you say, yeah. I think 10, 10 is about, nine or 10 is probably mm. about right. And, and you know, just, I definitely, go on. I was just about to say, just a just last question for you. Do you think they'll go as long as Liverpool did when it, to win their next Premier League? I personally can see them going longer than what the, the weight that Liverpool did. At the, at the moment, uh, you'd have to say yes, because at the moment, I look at... Uh, so far off it, aren't they? Yeah. But, but also, I look at what the other teams mm. are doing. And, and so, you know, sometimes uh, all teams benefit from other teams maybe not being as good as they once were, as an example. So, you know, there were definitely times where Man United uh, won a league because they were just better than the rest of the dross rather than being, you know, at their absolute best. And I look at what Newcastle are doing. I think they're only going to get better. I look at what Arsenal are doing. I, I think they're only going to get better. I look at what Aston Villa are doing. And if they keep going the right way, they're only going to get better. You look at Man City, you know, where does that end? And if Spurs, you add to the mix as well, if we think that they, they've got the opportunity to keep growing on what they're doing, uh, there's five or six teams that Man United have got to not just catch up with, but then go past. And that, that's yeah. years and years away. It's the top half of the table as well. I mean, you mentioned Villa. Villa. If you'd say Villa are going to win a Premier League more recent than Manchester United, you'd have to say yes. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've mentioned Liverpool. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely loving what Liverpool, mm. Liverpool look reinvigorated. You know, Jurgen Klopp has turned that whole team around. That, that midfield looks dynamic, aggressive, the forward line of scoring. Mm. They, you know, almost, you know, and we, we, we do it every week and you know, the, the joke is the five pounds to a stranger, but, you know, Liverpool are almost nailed on for three goals a game at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and they've stopped conceding as well, haven't they? Which was, has been their Achilles heel. But, you know, we spoke about, you know, Chelsea need to score three to, to win a game of football. If you're scoring three, you're going to win most games of football. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like I said, with, with what Liverpool have done, they've reinvigorated. So now Liverpool only maybe need one or two you know, to, to keep moving that dial forward. And again, the trouble is now that, that Man United don't have the same monopoly over signing players as they used to, because actually now with Arsenal, Newcastle, Liverpool, Man City, Spurs, Villa are in for the same player, there's no guarantee they pick Man United anymore. I don't even, you mentioned those players we mentioned before. I think with, probably with the exception of Luton, you know, Burnley, the, the teams in the bottom four or five, the rest of the teams can sign players they've gone in for because they can afford it. Whereas back in the day, they never used to be able to. They used to financially bully their way to winning the league and they can't do that now. And I think that's the biggest gripe for United fans, where they've come from, from being that dominant and bullying other teams. The fact that other teams can hold their own now and United don't have a setup to be able to cope, I think that's the biggest gripe for the fans. Yeah, again, many of those fans were, were born in an era where that's all they did was win. Mm. You know, and to, to not be winning is difficult once you've, you know, let's be honest, some people maybe geographically shouldn't have picked Man United as their local team, but support them because they were winning. And now they're not winning, it becomes very difficult. And actually, like you say, quite rightly, it could be easily 10 years before they win, you know, the big stuff. Obviously, they won the, the League Cup last season and, and so, you know, great and well, and, and that is still very commendable. But we're talking about the Premier League here, the stuff that Man United used to win just by turning up, they used to be. And like you said, you've said to me many times off, offline is that the trouble now is if they want to get a player out of Brentford, you know, let's say Ivan Tony as an example, back in the old monies, it would have been 12 million quid and they would have been begging and climbing their way out of the walls to get to Man United. Now it's 85 million quid and they're not that worried about going there because mm. they're getting paid 100 grand at Brentford anyway. Yeah, and but then to get them into Manchester United, you have to pay them three or 400 grand a week. And as soon as you do that, they're nowhere near as motivated as they ever were. 
yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating problem. Like I say, for Man U fans, you know, I, I think you have got a, a, a tough road ahead, but hopefully uh, you stick with the manager and, and, and get through it. And so, so we come on to uh, this weekend's fixtures and, and for a whole bunch of reasons, this is a really funny weekend for me in terms of uh, there's not that sort of, there's a couple of bigger fixtures, but, but you know, we've obviously touched on Spurs-Chelsea, which arguably is uh, certainly historically one of the big ones. But, but the other one that really jumps off the page is obviously the 5.30 Saturday night at St. James's Park. Uh, I've got a feeling it's going to be absolutely buzzing and rocking now. I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic, or oh, the atmosphere is going to be electric, I should have said, you know, what an idiot. Uh, Newcastle hosts Arsenal. Uh, obviously, a, a ground that, that still probably haunts Arsenal a little bit from a couple of seasons ago when Newcastle uh, gave them a real good shoe-in to mean that they didn't make the Champions League. But uh, how do you see this one? This one could be a really exciting game, couldn't it? I can see some goals in this game. Um, hopefully Nick Pope doesn't come and punch a ball that he can catch and cost me 95 quid on an acker. <laughs> Cheers, Nick. Thanks, mate. But, um, no, I can, I can see there being some some goals in this. Um, both um, both teams have, have seemed to improve attacking-wise in more recent weeks. So, yeah, I can definitely see there being goals in this. You know, Nketiah looks like he really stepped up to the plate last week, didn't he? Uh, whether he's going to start becoming the, the recognised number nine for them and Jesus has to back him up. Um, yeah, and then Newcastle do look dangerous going forward. You know, I thought they were quite good last week, to be honest. I thought um, they should definitely have, have scored more goals against Wolves. Um, yeah, I think it could be a really intri- intriguing game. I think the two stars will blend quite nicely. Is there a risk that this, this Newcastle squad is now sort of getting stretched a little mm. bit too? We've got, you know, injuries. Uh, obviously, uh, the way the, the the Premier League with all that, that kind of raft of yellow cards... Uh, you know, obviously suspensions have, have come earlier than normal for, for, for lots of players. I mean, it's going to absolutely crucify West Ham this weekend with Pacquiao and uh, Alvarez both out uh, at the weekend. Do, do you think that Newcastle are just starting to, I guess, survive? Like they're, 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 they're clinging on by their fingernails? I uh, think, yeah, I think they'll beat most sides who they should beat because I still think they've got the talent. But when they're coming up against an Arsenal... Can't see them beating them. To be honest, I don't think they've got that star quality to be able to break through that back line. You know, you know, when I look at the players who are going to be coming up against Saliba, I don't look and go, they could be causing them a problem. I can see Saliba having quite an easy game, to be honest. But but you know, New- Newcastle are averaging over two and again, it's it's that unfortunately that Sheffield United game really does boost these numbers, doesn't it? But but you know, they've, they've scored twenty six goals in ten games. They've only conceded eleven. So, you know, actually, you know, it, it does strike me as being a game, like you, you said it off the bat, you see goals. You know, for there to be 37 goals in Newcastle's first 10 games uh, is some quite severe numbers. Obviously, Newcastle are at 31 after 10 games. So, you know, you'd have to say over two and a half goals looks like a like a good shout. Obviously, you mentioned there about Nketiah. Is it is it worth just speaking about what's happened to Gabriel Jesus? Because when he, he came into Arsenal and the Arsenal fans were going absolutely crazy about this centre-forward who's, you know, started off like a house on fire scoring loads of goals. Uh, feels like he's, you know, we spoke about Rashford falling off a cliff. We spoke Bruno Fernandes. For, you know, is, is Jesus in that same category now? I don't think he's fallen off a cliff wise because he still brings a lot to the team. You know, he works hard. He, he's, he's more, he's just not a goal scorer. But I think when when he was signed, everyone knew that. He just had a bit of a purple patch where he started scoring goals. But he's not an out-and-out out number nine, is he? Like If you put him next to Haaland, you know, they're very different type of players. Haaland stays in and around the box. Jesus, he's, he's out on the left. He's in the number eight role. Like he's everywhere, isn't he? But he does link the play. So I do feel he's a crucial part to Arsenal's team. 
But by having him in the side, you really do lack a serious goal threat. So I think they've got a real problem with him, to be honest, because it's almost that he really helps link the play, but you take him out and then you've got somebody like Nketiah who scores, but then they don't link the play as well. So I think they've got a real problem. They almost need that hybrid player to come in who can play with his back to goal, link the play, but he's also in the box. I mean, the ideal one would be how you put Harry Kane in that side. I think he makes the team. I don't know. Okay. Can I just caveat that by saying if you put Harry Kane in just about any team in the world, uh, they are immediately. Uh, he's, and he's, he's an Arsenal boy as well, isn't he? Remember that photo with his top eye? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Let's, 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 you know, again, I, I think that's uh, way too political for us to get involved in as we're neutral. <laughs> so, so let's, let's not go down that route. But what I will say is that. Uh, his goal he scored for Bayern Munich at the weekend was was a oh. thing of beauty, uh, and and actually genuinely really happy that that Harry Kane is is showing his quality for a different team. So all of those people that aren't Spurs fans uh, are are now able to enjoy him uh, like Spurs fans did for all that time, even if he was an Arsenal fan. And so uh, the other player for me that that you know because Arsenal feel like they've they've not lost a league game this season, right? So 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 they're doing something right. They're only two points off of the you know the all conquering Tottenham Hotspur that people keep banging on about. They beat Man City at home, but they don't feel like they're quite as free flowing as they were last season. You know, last season it felt like they were they were tonk. And, and again, let, let's just forget Sheffield United because again, you know, the, 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 those numbers are stat padding for both Newcastle and Arsenal. You know, Sheffield United obviously clearly are a team that you can. And once you get ahead, give them a good shoe in. Martin Odegaard is another player for me that last season was absolutely part of the the drive that he felt like he was all scoring a last minute winner almost every other week. Like he was he was driving that team and, and the last couple of games I've watched him, he looks like he's struggling for a bit of form as well. And maybe the combination of Jesus and Odegaard not quite being at that same level is why Arsenal are still a very good team and still winning games, but not absolutely nailing teams like they used to. For me, he's the biggest problem Arsenal have at the minute. He's gone from being basically the heartbeat of that team. He was the personality in midfield, like I said, driving them forward, scoring goals, assisting. He was getting on the ball. Like I mentioned last week, I reckon he's probably had 50% less touches this season than he has um, from last season's You know, first 10 games. I feel that he's so far off it at the minute that he's he's really affecting Arsenal. I said he was the heartbeat and they don't really have that other central midfielder who can drive forward like he can. You know, they've obviously added Declan Rice, but he's a very different sort of player. And whether Rice has had an impact on Odegaard again, that could be a factor as well. But I think for me, he's the biggest issue. If they can get his form sorted out and get him, you know, getting back to those levels that he was hitting last season, I think you'll start seeing Arsenal spanking teams again. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Sorry, you, you... Whenever someone says Declan Rice, it's very difficult now not to do Rice Rice Baby, isn't it? Or is it just me? <laughs> it's just you. Okay. And, and <laughs> whenever you talk about Anana, am I the only one that says, Anana, what's my name? Like, I, I can't do it without doing that. It just kills me. Every time someone says his name, I have to say, it. like, whenever they say his name on the telly, I do it after. It's like, oh, shut up, man. Well, you're, you're now going to have to end the pod with a rendition of that. So I don't think so. I don't think anybody wants that. You know, we, <laughs> we're not exactly fighting off the listeners as it is. We don't want to be scaring up <laughs> anymore with me singing uh, Rihanna. Uh, but I do it every time Onana's name is mentioned. That, that literally comes into my head. Uh, as does Rice Rice Baby now, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you, but you're, you are right, of course, that that, that midfield triage, and you know, we spoke about it last week, Granite Xhaka for me is, is is a big miss. I think Havertz, Havertz, sorry, Havertz, or oh, Gonal Posh, Havertz isn't quite doing what they want him to do. But possibly, you talked about that hybrid role. Actually, if, if they can get the players around him, maybe, maybe he could be the solution in there. But it, it feels to me like Arsenal are, at the moment, putting a couple of square pegs in round. I was like, for me, I know that Ben White's done a great job at right back, but he's not really a right back. You know, you're kind of fitting him in. I think they, they would be more suited with, with a proper right back. 
you know, the midfield three doesn't quite look as dynamic as, as, as for example, Liverpool's midfield three. And actually, the forward three, even with Martinelli and Saka, who, who I absolutely love when they're on form, all of them seem to just be kind of doing enough, don't they, at the moment for me? I think, I, I, for me, the, the, on the winger's point is Odegaard is the problem. So he was the driving force, which one gave him the ball, but he was also, if you noticed, running from the number eight position, running into the space to create space for Saka and Martinelli to then run at the full-back. Because he's not getting on the ball, he doesn't seem to be as dynamic in midfield, like you mentioned, getting past the, the wingers, you know, past their full-backs and creating the space. So they are leaving it pretty much up, you know, give the ball to Saka and say, go on and have a run it when you're being doubled up. I think that, and for me, is the biggest issue. But, but is, that, is that not actually when we talk about Saturday's game specifically? Like Dan Byrne, uh, assuming he starts, obviously, uh, you know, six foot, 100, whatever he is, you know, he's massive. You know, is, is that not actually where Arsenal can get the most joy? Because for me, Absolutely. again, he, I don't want to be disrespectful about someone that, that's doing a phenomenal job for his hometown team. But for me, like Dan Byrne is not a Premier League left back, you know, like he's... Yeah, I, I think he's a, he's a Premier League left back, but he's not a top level Premier League left back where Newcastle want to be. I think I'd even target Trippier as well on the other flank. When you've got Martinelli with the pace that he runs at, Trippier is not as quick as Martinelli. Um, you know, I still think he's a very good defender, so it would give him a very good match. But Martin, you, they want to be getting the ball, like I said, to the wingers. But if you just leave them one on one, and then you get men around them defending, which Newcastle do well, they defend as a team, don't they? Which it's very hard for somebody to break down one and then another person's there. They almost keep showing them down the line, which both of them are inverted wingers, so they're not going to cross with the wrong foot. So they need to stretch the pitch a bit, don't they? They need somebody running into the space behind the fullback so Saka and Martinez can, can come inside and create that space. And I, I, to me, they just don't have that runner at the minute, which was Odegaard last year, and also Xhaka. But they had, the other players they've got in midfield at the minute aren't making those forward runs and creating that space. No, and I'm just looking at, you know, we spoke about the Man United squad, we're talking about how, you know, I'm just looking at the Newcastle uh, defence. And again, on paper, it looks, you know, take out Sven Botman, obviously who's had an injury. It looks really, I mean, Kieran Trippier, Paul Demay, uh, Fabian Shard, Jamal LaSalle, Matt Target, Emil Kraft, uh, Manquillo, Byrne, Livermento and Hall. Like that, that is not, for me, average. average. It, 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 and again, Livermento and Hall aren't even getting a game, really, you know, so, so, so actually, arguably, could they be bringing Dan Byrne in as a centre-back which looks like a more sort of physically where he should be playing and have Lewis mm. Hall is a bit more of a ball. But I, I, just, I just look at that defence and think that that's always going to look like it's going to concede goals at that defensive setup, doesn't it? Yeah, which is odd because they went through a long period of last season where they didn't concede goals. Like if, if from a fantasy perspective, if you didn't have Newcastle defenders in the oh. team, you were bonkers. Whereas now, I mean, the only one you would dare put in is Trippier because of his attacking output. It's not because he's getting defensive clean sheets. Yep. So yeah, I mean, they do look like they're going to concede goals. And that's why I, you know, I look at this game and I do feel goals is in the game. Okay, yeah. So don't don't tell us the score yet. We're going to wait for that. Don't we're going to come to that. No problem at all. So, uh, yeah. The, 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 the other one for us to, 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 to really sort of just just touch on is that I, I know it feels uh, maybe a little bit unfair because uh, I don't think there's a single human being on the planet that thinks they're going to win this weekend. But is it now time for Bournemouth uh, to make a change and obviously go to Man City? Uh, you know, it would be some upset if Man City don't win that game comfortably. You know. Probably the biggest shock of the season so far. You know, Bournemouth, uh, one point clear of, of the relegation zone, but only two points clear of two of the teams and only five points clear of Sheffield United, who have, uh, you know, ten, one point from 10 games. It, is, is now the time for Bournemouth to make that change or do you think they should hold fire for a little bit longer? And, you know, they've got three really, really tough games coming up, so there's no point in doing it now. Wait mm. till you come out the other end and see, see what it looks like. 
No, I don't think it is the time now. You know, they beat Burnley 2-1 on the weekend, didn't they? Which, for me, is a massive result for them. I actually thought they would beat Burnley. I think Burnley are so poor, considering how well they blitzed the championship. Um, these, you know, They've got three tough games coming, like you said, but I find it hard then to say that's going to define his, his reign. It's, it's almost the games after that. You know, if, you can get, if he loses another two after the next tough three games, then he's really going to struggle. So, no, I, do, I don't think the time is now, because I say... I mean, they're, they're not cut adrift from the pack. In fact, they're in front of the pack, aren't they? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the time is, is right now to change him. I think, you know, he's earned the right now after that win against Burnley. I think if he'd lost that, then you're 100% you should have gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're probably right. I, th- I think it's interesting. Obviously, you know, Man City, uh, it's a bit of a free hit, really, isn't it? It's one of them games where you go, right, let's see what we can do. If we lose 4-0, we lose 4-0. Most of the other teams around us are going to lose by similar. Uh, and actually, you know, Luton have got Liverpool. So, again, you, you know, if you're looking for... I guess a, a, a banker of a weekend. You, you go Man City, Liverpool are, are pretty confident that they're both going to win, uh, and therefore actually you're not going to fall beneath Luton. Even if Burnley do manage to beat Crystal Palace, which wouldn't be the world's biggest shock, you're still in touching distance. You know, and, and, and Notts Forest. You know, being honest with you, are, are starting to look like a team that might get dragged back in. Goals. With, no with, goals, have they? With with obviously the injury to a Momley up front, you know they, they've started to struggle. They haven't won a game in certainly in the last five, you know, and, and drawn against some of those teams around them, you know, in terms of Luton, obviously with two nil up, that, that was a massive two goals for Luton that, that kept both teams in it. You know, obviously Everton looked like they might have found a little bit of a system. Everton have won three of the last five, by the way. So all of a sudden they've they, you know, they've picked up nine points in the last five games. So so Everton look like they're they're on an upward trajectory and actually might be dragging some of the other teams back in there. Do you still see it as being the four, or do you think Forest could be dragged into it? I do think Forrest could be dragged into it. I, I, I'm a bit worried about Fulham as well, to be honest. I don't think they've got a lot about them as well. The only thing I will say is I think Fulham and Forrest are far better than the other four. So I do think they should be worried because, you know, you know Bournemouth could, you know, one more, one more win for Bournemouth and it pulls those teams back into it. Um, same with, with Luton and Burnley. I mean, Sheffield are gone, aren't they? But... I just feel that Forest and Fulham are better sides than the other four. So for me, it's that it's it's still out of those four. But if they do carry on with the form, they're going to be in touchy distance. So they have to look over the shoulder. Yeah, there's rumours that Fulham are looking at the centre forward in Germany that scored more goals than Harry Kane uh, this season already. Second, uh, yeah, he's got a uh, release clause in January for about sixteen, seventeen million. The trouble for Fulham is that I also believe that all of the top clubs in Europe are going to be looking at him in January as well. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it'll end up at Fulham. But Fulham definitely are missing, as are Forrest. Uh, and interestingly, it's no surprise that Everton are starting to pick up some results when Calvert-Lewin starts to come back into the team, which creates some options. You know, Jack Harrison looks like a a, a really interesting loan, loan option for them that's adding some attacking output. And again, you know, it's not rocket science. Start scoring some goals, you will start winning some games. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, I was really impressed with Everton last week. Um, I thought that... Um... West Ham were you know, good for a win before the game, but I was really impressed with Everton. I thought, like you said, normally they're a terrible watch, but they're quite turgid going forward. But they look threatening, and it was all to do with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I mean, there's a guy that's been absolutely so unlucky with injuries. In him. I mean, honestly, how, how one professional football player can, can get injured so often uh, and the impact that has on that team. You, again, arguably, if you have a fit Calvert-Lewin for the last two seasons, they're not fighting relegation for the last day of the season like they have done. No, but I think that's the problem, though, haven't they? They haven't had anyone to back him up, which actually, ironically, this is the first year that they have had him, somebody to back him up. They've had Beto, and they brought on um, Chamiti, didn't they, as well? So they've actually now got three forwards, which, for, for a change, their squad looks like it's got a bit of depth to it. 
well, Jack Harrison, Dan Juma, and obviously Dwight McNeil as well as three options behind them that, that are starting to look, mm. uh, you know, like like what you don't want. You don't just want one attacking threat. Do you? you? You need it coming from all over the place and creating and and, and opening opportunities. So yeah, it's, I think it's a, hopefully for Everton, and I, and I really mean this. You know, obviously after the sad news last week, I'm hoping that things are starting to look up for Everton, mm. and they can really, you know, interesting game this weekend at home to Brighton and. It, Actually, I don't want to kind of preempt any predictions, but it wouldn't surprise me if everything actually picked up a result here. Uh, but we're going to move on to that now. So obviously, every week uh, you give us your your predictions. You've done amazingly well uh, so far this season. Uh, uh, you know, almost week in week out. And of course, last week you had a couple of challenges, uh, but the one that you wanted to beat, uh, fair to say, you, you gave me good shoeing, didn't you? Yeah, he tried, didn't he? Bless him. He stepped up to the plate, but he got firmly battered away. So, uh, no, no. <laughs> I love the I love the arrogance of it. Uh, so, so no challenges this week. So it's just you versus you. So let, let's see how uh, let's see how we get on. Uh, and we're going to start with that early kickoff. Uh, really intriguing game in many ways. Fulham versus Man United. Uh, how do you see this one playing out, mate? I'm going Fulham one, Man United two. Yeah, I think Man United are going to win this as well, actually. But I think it might be a, a, a one nil up. But yeah, I do see Man United winning that game. Uh, I just think that they're, they're, they're going to have just a little bit too much for Fulham, who who look toothless. Mm. Uh, now, we mentioned it earlier, West Ham missing a bunch of players due to the, the totting up process of, of yellow cards. Uh, I'm sure none of them have got to do any sort of betting scandals over some of their players. Uh, but Brentford are hosting West Ham in a, in a London derby, albeit not one of the, the, the typical ones. Uh, I'm going Brentford actually, but so, so who have you got in this one? I'm going one all. You know, I'm, I'm going to go two one Brentford. Uh, I think obviously off the back of their win against Chelsea last week, West Ham missing some players. I think obviously West Ham losing to Everton. You know, I I, I, th- I think Brentford are going to have enough at home to to, to beat West Ham. Uh, another really intriguing game, Burnley that just have to win this game against Crystal Palace. We're still missing some key players. Uh, obviously, Crystal Palace looked pretty toothless last week as well. Uh, can Burnley pick up a win, Fran? I don't think they can. I'm going Burnley nil, Palace one. Oof. Thank God it's a three o'clock kickoff. <laughs> uh, I actually, uh, I'm going to put my uh, neck, I was going to say something else then, but I'll go neck because that's slightly more PC uh, on the line. Uh, I'm going to go with a Burnley one nil win. I'm going to go for a Burnley one nil win. Uh, as long as their centre forward is back from illness, which obviously he's a big miss when he's not there. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. Everton, Brighton, uh, just spoke about them. Uh, I alluded to the fact that I, I actually think this might be what perception is a shock in the football world. So uh, I'm going to go with Everton 2, Brighton 1. You've got... Very similar. Everton 2, Brighton 2. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I, I really do hope that Everton can can turn this corner. I've got a lot of time for Sean Dyche. I've got a lot of time for the club. I think they're one of those great historical clubs that, and, and the supporters definitely deserve, or at least I feel like they do from the outside, deserve some some happiness. So, so I hope that they can turn that round. Uh, I think we all know where this one's going in terms of our predictions, but Man City host Bournemouth. I think it's just going to be a case of who gets the score right, really. But go on in. What you got? What you got for? Three nil, Man City. Okay, I'm going bigger. I'm going f- mm. five one. Five one. What the hell? <laughs> might as well go big. Uh, well, the, la- well- the, the last time we had a reaction like that though was four nil, wasn't it? <laughs> and it came in. So- Roden, it came in. Uh, so get your yeah. money on. Yeah, so that's that, that, and that's going to be my five pound challenge. Man City five, Bournemouth one. I might as well, so that I've got no chance of winning anyway. Uh, obviously, uh, Wolves. You know, we gave some praise last week. Gary Neal uh, coming across really well in terms of his his tactical awareness and knowledge. Uh, however, Pedro Neto looked like he pulled mm. up, a, you know, a, a really nasty hamstring injury, which 
uh, is going to have an impact on their ability to sort of play. But they are playing Sheffield United, who uh, you know are, are roundly getting beaten. So who, who who do you see? How do you see this one going? Sheffield nil, Wolves two. Yeah, I'm thinking of putting Wolves in my last man standing challenge, if I'm honest with you. But Pedro Neto's injury did did kind of worry me slightly. But I, I, I agree. I think it might be tight. Uh, I think Wolves will have enough. I think maybe 2-1 Wolves. Uh, and then we spoke about it in depth, uh, but we didn't give a score. So we, 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 I think we both think over two and a half goals. It's just a case of how you see it going. So Newcastle host Arsenal on Saturday night. How do you see this one playing out? Newcastle 2, Arsenal 2. Yeah... Yeah, I like that as an idea, but obviously in the interest of keeping it sane, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go three to Arsenal. I think Arsenal will win this game. I just looking at that Newcastle squad uh, looks a little bit uh, tight. So for me, I'm going to go with uh, an Arsenal win. Uh, I have a feeling that the next two games are going to be quite comfortably uh, predicted for us. Obviously, uh, Notts Forest, who we just spoke about struggling for goals, Aston Villa, who are tonking everybody and anybody in sight. How do you see this one going? Two 0 Villa. I think that's pretty comfortable. Yeah, I think 3-0. Uh, I think 3-0 Villa. And then, obviously, Luton, uh, which, again, amazing story. So, again, let's just be clear, right? Like, I, I, I don't buy into any Luton hate. Absolutely amazing that little old Luton, uh, without being condescending, are playing on, you know, uh, the, the the main stage, if you like, the, the Sunday afternoon, Super Sunday, 4.30, at home, against Mo Salah's Liverpool. What a great story. And, and I hope that all the Luton fans around the world uh, enjoy that moment because, again, it, you know, it might be a long time before it happens again. But I think we're both going to go with... Uh, it's just a case of guessing the score, really, rather than guessing the results. So who are you going for? And what do you think the score will be? 3-0 Liverpool. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to go bigger again. I'm going to go 4-1. 4-1. There you go. There's your five-pound challenge. 5-1 five, and 4-1. <laughs> if they come off, I can retire. Probably. Uh, Probably. And then we spoke about it as well. Uh, obviously, Spurs host Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea seem to have just this amazing curse over Spurs that, that means that whenever the two teams play, you might as well just put down three points. In fact, I think at one point, the Chelsea fans in the old stadium used to call it three-point lane rather than White Hart Lane. Uh, Spurs host Chelsea. And Pochettino's return to the Tottenham Stadium. The result will be... Oh, I've written down Spurs 2, Chelsea 1. But my inkling is saying 2-2. Two, two. But I'm going to stick with my what I've written down. Two one Spurs. So I'm going to go the exact opposite of that. I'm going to go one two. I'm going to go Chelsea win two one. Okay. Uh, so we move on to our five pound challenge. You've alluded to it a few times. Uh, do you know what? Just for giggles, I am going to go five one and four one, and I'm going to put it on. Let, let me see if I can. Oh, I haven't got my thing. So if you if you if you tell me, if you start with your thing. Uh, and then I'll see if I can work out what the odds are on this because obviously it could be quite juicy. So, uh, okay. what have you got? So I don't think yours will be as juicy as mine. Mine's thirty-eight to one. Mine better be more juicy than that. Mine's thirty-eight to one, and that is Brentford, Everton, and Newcastle games all to be draws. Oh, okay. All to be draws. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did allude that there could be quite a few uh, coming through, so that would be interesting. Uh, in terms of having a look at the draw, always does uh, crazy, crazy odds on some of them. Yeah, it does create some crazy odds, doesn't it? Uh, I'm now frantically trying to find uh, the correct score. So here we go. So the correct score home five one is eighteen to one. Oh yeah, yours could be a bit bigger. Uh, so let's now bear with me, guys. And this is not great if you. So we're just going to now try and find uh, the Liverpool game. Uh, 
Well, if I've done it, let's, let's, honestly, you'd think that I'm some sort of chimpanzee. Uh, here we go, Sunday. So we now need to go to Sunday, uh, and we need to go to this one here. And now we're going to go, uh, this is not great telly, is it? So correct score. Oh, my God, where is it? There we go. Away, 4-1, I said, didn't I? Yeah. Okay, you're not, like, honestly, you won't even you won't even believe me if I tell you what. Go on. What, what do you reckon the, the double is? Is it 110 to 1? 246 to 1. Really? 246 to 1. Uh, there you go. That's got that's got that's got summer excited as well. Not no surprise. Two hundred forty six to one. So if if it comes off, uh, the drinks are on me, uh, and I will put a quid on that one for sure. Uh, or maybe a five. Oh, I've forgot to put a five on, didn't I? Well, I tell you what. Yeah, there you that'll go. Be, that'll be twelve hundred quid back if it comes off. I can't believe uh, I said yours wasn't going to be bigger than mine. Now <laughs> your little your little your little baby one there. Your little baby one. <laughs> Uh, look, Fran, as always, mate, uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, a deeper dive in some of the fixtures. Uh, you know, great weekend of football coming up. Uh, really look forward to, to, to speaking to you about it all next week. Just to remind everybody where they can find us and where they can gra- grab a hold of us between times. So we are on Twitter or X. Uh, if you search for The Atmospheres Electric, you'll be able to reply to our tweets or send us a DM there. Um, we're also on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify. If you just search for The Atmospheres Electric, you'll find us. Yeah, we'd really appreciate if you can just subscribe to the channels, um, followers, uh, give us a five-star rating. You say it all, it all helps to be able to get the pod out to other people and grow the audience. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Keep reaching out, guys. It'd be really helpful to, to, to get in contact. Any, any questions, any predictions you want to throw away, uh, please feel free. And uh, obviously, we, we really look forward to getting in touch with you. And as always, Fran, my favourite hour of the week. Thank you so much, buddy. Look forward to speaking to you next week.